0: If your Bibles are still open to Romans, or if they're not, you might want to just keep it open to Romans. We'll come back to that book several times um, as we go along, and I'll read other verses. Uh, We're finishing the Apostles' Creed there in Lord's Day 22. The uh, last section of it, remember, is I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And here are these last two, which we'll look at today. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And we've talked a fair amount about the resurrection already. And also we've been discussing everlasting life. And uh, Lord's Day 23 begins to take us in. How do the benefits of redemption become a part of our life? Uh, in the whole issue and matter of justification so that what I am planning to do, what I'm intending to do today is to cover those questions in Lord's Day 22 uh, for us to reflect on the resurrection, reflect on everlasting life, and then move into Lord's Day 23. There's a change in topic in the middle of Lord's Day 23 from justification to faith and works, and so we'll stop there and pick that thought up uh, next time. Uh, but I want us to think about these things and beginning, there's uh, the, the first thing that we'll look at is the comfort of the resurrection. And that's question 57. What comfort does the resurrection of the body give to you? And there are two truths in this particular um, You know, I didn't read the scripture, did I? I kept wondering, why is she still sitting there at the piano? So for online streaming, we're backing up. Okay. So now open your Bibles to Romans. I'm glad you don't... You're not looking for a perfect pastor, because you definitely don't have one. I can... So let's go to Romans and, and pick up this uh, passage, very important passage, Romans three nineteen through 28, is our scripture reading this morning, and following that we'll sing the Gloria Patri. So please stand for the uh, reading of God's word. And hear, hear, hear God's word. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from observing the law. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. So as we pick it up in Lord's Day 22, the first point is what comfort uh, do you have of the resurrection of the body? And there are two uh, points of comfort given to us in that answer. The first is that... uh, Uh, Our soul is immediately taken to Christ at death. Uh, And that's a wonderful encouragement. When Jesus spoke to the uh, thief on the cross, what did he say to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not sometime, not someday. Today you will be with me in paradise. In, in, In Philippians 1, when Paul is wrestling with does he stay here and minister? Or does he go to be with the Lord? He, he allows us into his thinking. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So there was the choice, there was the decision, there's the dividing thing. I'll either stay here and remain and minister, or I go to be with the Lord. At our death, our souls immediately go into the presence of the Lord. Second Corinthians 5 is another passage uh, that wrestles through this point. Therefore, Paul says, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Now that's not spiritually away from the Lord. It doesn't mean there's a disconnect between us and our relationship with with the Lord. What he's saying is, as long as I'm here in the body, here on this earth, I'm not in the presence of the Lord. But then if I'm in the presence of the Lord, I'm no longer in this body. And as soon as I leave this body, I'm in the presence of the Lord. And he continues, we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him that whether we are at home in the body or away from the Lord, we please him. We're either at home in the body or we're we're here in the body or we're at home with the Lord it's a great comfort and encouragement to us. We live in this intermediate state. When we, when we die, we live in an intermediate state. We're not clothed with our final resurrection bodies. <clears throat> Calvin, uh, he speculates and thinks that God provides an intermediate uh, dwelling for us in, in the in-between time. But <clears throat> nevertheless, our hope is ultimately for the resurrection. And what <clears throat> comfort do you get from knowing of the resurrection of the body, it's that you know that you, your body will be raised. The body that was buried, the body that died, will be the same body that's raised, raised again. Paul was going through this debate in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, the body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. The same body that was buried is the same body that will be raised. You will still be you in glory. And when you get to glory, those loved ones that have gone on before, you will, they will still be them and you will still be you and you will recognize them and you will know them and they will know you. And the resurrection of the body is a great uh, glorious hope that we have because of the resurrection of Christ. In Later in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying um, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In Philippians 3, Paul says the power of God, the mighty mighty power of God will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. So the the resurrection uh, of the dead is a great hope for us. It's the culmination, it's the future that we long for and look forward to. And that some of our, that, that our loved ones who are waiting for that day will join with us in that great and wonderful day. So the second element of truth is what comfort do you take from the article of life everlasting? And there's two things about this that I think are significant and helpful for us. Uh, the life everlasting, the first is that the co- one comfort that comes to us from it is that we experience even now uh, a taste of that glorious life that we will have with the Lord forever. Uh, turn to Romans fourteen seventeen. Here he's making reference to the kingdom of God and we're, we as God's children are members of that kingdom. We're members of that kingdom even now. The glorious um, fulfillment of that kingdom awaits. But in Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, there's much we have to look forward to, but the wonderful and glorious thing is that you and I here as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, here and now, Get a taste of that. We don't have to wait for glory to have a taste of everlasting life. We experience it now. We experience righteousness. We experience peace. We experience joy. Uh, The fullness will come, but we experience the reality even now. And that should be a great help and encouragement to us. Uh, A second thing of, of the comfort and hope of that is that there is this great rich fullness of blessedness that awaits us in glory. Uh, the eternal life of, in the presence of God is such a weight of glory as one author says, we will feel then whether or wonder were we ever happy at all You know, we have many happy things in our lives here and now. There's much that we enjoy, and God wants us to enjoy in our lives here and now. But when we reach glory, we're going to wonder, was I ever happy? Because all of our happiness here is incomplete. It's affected by the... um, the taint of, excuse me, the taint of sin, it's fleeting, it's, uh, it's, it's not uh, fulfilled. And when we reach glory, it will be fulfilled. And Kevin DeYoung writes about this. He says, life everlasting means reward, inheritance, blessing, rule, feasting, security, no pain, no mourning, no disappointment, no struggle, no fear. It means a lush garden, a beautiful city, a lasting foundation, a street of gold, a sea of crystal, and a wall of precious stones. It means a wedding celebration, a tree of life, living water, manna from heaven, unending light, and unceasing worship before him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. And the answer quotes that verse from 1 Corinthians 2. It's It is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now God has revealed it to us, but at the same time, there's no way we can fully imagine the glory that awaits us. It's beyond our thinking. And it's a wonderful anticipation. We will get disillusioned in this life But we will never uh, lose the taste of that life. It will be that which we will enjoy forever. And the conclusion of the creed is the word amen. And we're going to take that word up again when we get to the conclusion of the Lord's prayer, which we'll be working our way through. But to just anticipate that the Heidelberg Catechism question with amen asks the question, what does the word amen signify? And the answer is, amen signifies it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart. I desire these things of him. Now, when you're praying, you have a fervent desire for whatever it is that you're praying for. And when you say amen... What you're saying, it's more certain that God has heard my prayer than I even want these things that I'm asking for. And when we say amen at the end of the creed, we're saying it's more certain and absolutely true than I believe in my heart that these things are true. There's a certainty and a confidence that we can have in the truth. That we can rest our lives in it. But the third area of our thinking as we move into the Lord's Day 23 is how do the benefits of redemption become a part of our life? And it's working through that question that the the, um, uh, question 59 and 60 work our way through that. In a sense, question 59 is the, as it were, the so what question. Now, I don't say that in any kind of demeaning way or a dismissive way. I don't mean it that way. But, so what does it mean for us that we have confessed all these truths? What benefit does it bring to us? Uh, why, what, what, what does it matter that we believe all these things? And the answer to question 59 gives us a summary of these things. That we are united to Christ... And having been united to Christ, we receive from him righteousness and an inheritance. Uh, The way that you and I uh, experience and receive the benefits of redemption is, first of all, being united to Christ. B.B. Warfield once said to his students, Do not tell your hearers that they are saved by their faith. It does no such thing. They are saved by the work of Christ. Now, faith is the hand. It's a gift of God, too. The faith is the hand which receives the blessings. But redemption comes to us through our union with Jesus Christ because we are in him. And because we are in him, we receive the benefit first of righteousness and then of the inheritance. Uh, look at um, Romans one seventeen. Romans one seventeen says this. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as, it, just as it is written, the righteous or the just will live by faith. There is a righteousness that comes to us from God that we receive by faith. Now, you're going to say, well, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Really not. Faith is the hand that receives the gift, but it comes and it's based on the work of Christ. But that righteousness is given to us. Uh, look at um, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Romans 5 1 and 2 it says therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We gain access, and faith is the means, it's the hand but we stand in the grace and that grace is connected to uh, the work of our savior Jesus Christ and it makes us an heir of the blessings of God turn to Romans 8:16 Romans 8:16 the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So when we are united to Christ and we are in him, then we receive from God righteousness, and we receive this great inheritance. We're heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And the rich and wonderful blessings of God come to us Through him. So that's in a sense the question, so what? What does it benefit us? But then, well, how do these things come to us? What are what's part of the process of these this righteousness coming to us? And so question sixty asks this crucially important question: How are you righteous before God? Or how are you made right with God? How are you justified? Uh, this is the doctrine on which in reality the, the church stands are false. Uh, what is justification by faith? It's a doctrine the reformers were zealous to talk about and explain in great detail and be very careful about it. And there's much misunderstandings even in our own day about this doctrine as, in spite of how long it's been talked about. Uh, but the answer is to how we are justified, how we are made right with God is laid out in this particular answer. And the answer basically on how is in the first phrase and the last phrase of the question, only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. And then the last phrase, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. It's faith. We're not saved by faith, we're saved by Christ, but faith is crucial to draw that benefit from the Lord. Now come back to Romans 3, which we read earlier, and I'll just highlight a couple verses there. In Romans 3, verse 22, this righteousness, we could put in justification, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then if you skip down to verse 25, God presented him, Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. And so faith is the hand that receives the blessing of that righteousness that's provided by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It's not by anything that we have done. It's not by any merit that we can achieve. There is actually no merit at all that we can um, do to achieve anything from the Lord. Uh, There is no deed, good deed, that you can do that will, will achieve this righteousness. There is no amount of them. Even all your good deeds are contaminated by sin. It's only the work of Christ that saves us, and faith receives that. But in faith working in our life, there are two other elements that are crucially important in bringing that righteousness to us. And the first is conviction of sin. In that answer, you will see my conscience accuses me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them and am still inclined to all evil. You cannot, faith cannot grasp Christ, cannot grasp the righteousness that we are received through Christ without the conviction of sin. You have to be convicted of your sin. And you're convicted of your sin in two particular ways. One is that you are totally corrupt. You have transgressed God's law and you are not only contaminated, but you are corrupted by that sin. Your hearts are darkened by that sin. Uh, All men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so you have within this complete corruption, this complete depravity. And you have to be convicted of that before you can ever experience the righteousness of God. But the second thing that's part of that is to know you are required to obey God and yet your heart is inclined to all evil. You're guilty both because you have transgressed and you're guilty because you haven't done what you were supposed to do. You haven't done what you were supposed to do because your heart is inclined toward, our, toward all evil. That is something uh, an unbeliever will never admit. Now if you confront them and say, "Well, have, aren't you a sinner? Haven't you done wrong?" And they will answer, "Well, sure, everybody's done bad things." But they won't want to admit, "My heart is corrupt." And I'm inclined to do evil just because I want to do it. One of the notable things in Augustine's Confessions is a story he tells about his youth. When Augustine was a young boy, he was kind of a wild child and, um, in a variety of ways. But on this one particular occasion, he tells us a story of how he and uh, uh, several of his friends were out carousing and they were walking by a neighbor's field uh, of orchard of of, uh, pear trees. And they went into the the pear uh, orchard and they stole pears. And he goes on to talk about this. And you know, you don't find fault with a person who's stealing a pear who's hungry. If you haven't had a meal... And you're desperately hungry and you're walking by a pear field and you 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 grab a pear and you take it. Well, who could fault a person for doing that? They're hungry. But Augustine said, This is the problem. We stole the pears. We weren't hungry. We stole the pears for the sheer joy of doing evil. That's what we wanted. We wanted to do something bad. We didn't do it because we were prompted to it. We did it for the sheer joy of doing something wrong. You and I have to be convicted of our sin to ever receive the righteousness of God. Uh, Two passages. Look at... uh, romans three nine what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? not at all? We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Turn also to romans seven twenty three Paul talks about this wrestling, this inclination to wrong. He says, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. There's this inclination to do wrong. And it's essential and crucial to our justification that we're convicted of our sin. It has to happen. Unless we are gripped of our need and our guilt, we will never be gripped with our uh, the, the solution that's found in Christ. But the, the second element here of our becoming uh, righteous and justified is a phrase in the middle of this answer, which is two words, but it's maybe the most significant words of the answer, and it's Notwithstanding God. Now you say, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means it, we didn't take the initiative. There was nothing we could do. It was God that took the initiative. Notwithstanding, in spite of our sin, in spite of our guilt, in spite of our inclination to do wrong, notwithstanding, God did something. And it's a, the perfect parallel is the early verses of Ephesians chapter 2. There you remember Paul is writing, you were dead in trespasses and sins and in the the ways of this world that you walked in. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And after painting that terrible picture of us, dead in trespasses and sin, verse 4 gives us the triumphant message but God. We're dead in trespasses and sin, but God. Because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. God steps in. He takes the initiative. All of justification all of grace all of the hope that we have it all turns on that one statement but God we're helpless and hopeless but God he steps in and makes us alive together with Christ and what does he do for us without any merit of mine? But only of mere grace, he does two things for us. He grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. The imputation, he takes my sin and puts it on Jesus, and he takes Jesus' righteousness and puts it on me. God grants and imputes that, and the result of that is... It's very interesting and significant so that it's as if I had never committed any sin. When God takes our sin and puts it on Christ and pours out into us the righteousness of Christ, it's as if we never committed any sin. That which you have to be convicted of, you're convicted of your guilt of your sin, it's as though you never committed any sin. And not only that, it's as if you fully had accomplished all that obedience which Christ had accomplished for me. Not only does he take away your sins so that there's no sin anymore, he fills you with the righteousness of Christ so that it's like you are the obedient child. And when he looks at you, he looks at you through Christ and he sees the Son That always does what pleases him. He takes away our sin and he fills us with righteousness. So no longer are we overwhelmed with the guilt of our transgression. That is forgiven. Not only are we no longer um, filled with the guilt of not having done what God wanted. We are complete in Christ. We're fully atoned for. We're fully obedient. We're fully righteous. He takes away our guilt of transgression and he makes us righteous in his sight. Thanks be to God. There's no other way it can happen. And the encouragement and the help and the hope for you and for me, knowing all this truth is its application to us through the, through the work of God in our lives. And may you and I uh, revel in these truths and embrace the reality in our life so that the, uh, the the comfort of the resurrection and the comfort of life everlasting will have its fullness in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much for the redemption that there is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Justification by faith. We thank you for the, your work in our lives. And we pray, I pray, Father, that each of us here today experiences the reality and the joy of this truth uh, for your the, the, the glory of your holy name. And it's in Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Uh, if you would take uh, your hymnals and turn to hymn 638, and we'll sing following the benediction, Savior, thy dying love, thou gavest me. <clears throat> but I need you to take your bulletin, too. So we'll test your ambidextrousness here. Uh, have your bulletin in one hand and your hymnal in the other. There is a congregational response following the benediction that you, we will say together. And then following that, we'll sing hymn 638. So please, please stand together for the benediction. Dearly beloved, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.